Cheers to Season 5, Episode 5 of Drinking and Screaming, a queer and feminist podcast about horror movies and cocktails. I'm Char, and my pronouns are she, they. And I'm Kelly, and my pronouns are they, them. And this week, we're watching two films, (gasps) Poltergeist from 1982 and its remake of the same name from 2015. But first, we have an inspired cocktail creation that we made to match the mood and themes of the movie. <laughs> and I hesitated there because this time I did not make it at all. But this drink is meant to be enjoyed the minute you move into a haunted home. <laughs> this episode will contain discussion on sexual violence, colonization, and harm to children. If any of these things are something that you need to not hear about today, feel free to skip this episode and we'll see you next time. I do want to start off before we dive into the drink, just letting everyone know. Originally, we said we would watch Last House on the Left original and the remake, and it got to the point of us about to watch it, and both Kelly and I were like, do we really want to do this? It didn't feel worth it, and I looked up a bunch of um, like reviews and guides and Does the Dog Die? We went on there. And it just seemed that it's like throughout the entire movie, it's very triggering. And uh, we don't want to do that right now. I want to enjoy my life. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) It just feels to me like it's something that's on the horror classic list. That's a blind spot for us, which is why I had originally wanted to watch it. And I kind of had the mentality of like, yeah, I'm claiming my history, but also Fuck no, don't want to do that. (laughs) So instead, we switched to Poltergeist, which is still definitely a horror classic that we haven't, uh, that Kelly hadn't seen. Yeah, we don't (laughs) want anyone to feel like they have to watch something or have to endure something just because it's like part of the zeitgeist. You're allowed to take care of yourself and, uh, you know, um, watch something that will make you feel good. Yeah. So this week we watched Poltergeist and Starting off with the cocktail, today this is whiskey in a mug, which I poured, but we didn't add <laughs> anything to it because, drum roll, we have a new season sponsor! Yay! A local sponsor here in central northern British Columbia, After Dark Distillery, has stepped up to be an amazing, fantastic sponsor of our entire season, providing us with a wide variety of their alcohols. I went to their distillery uh, just last week with Colleen because Kelly was feeling a little under Mm -hmm. the weather. And they gave us a tour. They had whiskey barrels aging. They make uh, vodka, gin, uh, bourbons, a lot of different flavored moonshines there. We got to learn all about the process. But, of course, in the remake of Poltergeist, the dad just pours whiskey in a mug quite a bit, actually. (laughs) You see it a few times. It kind of replaces the weed in the first film. And... I thought, well, why don't we have whiskey in a mug today with our new sponsor from After Dark Distillery? I am bummed that I didn't get to go because you uh, missed you, out. It you was know how awesome. much I like my whiskey and I would have liked to have seen where whiskey is born. Yes, exactly. <laughs> what we are drinking today is their Monashi Mountain Whiskey, which is handcrafted in British Columbia. It's got a 40 percent alcohol and uh, we got the 750 milliliter one. And I will say to everybody that this is very limited edition right now because it, they had just started out and in their second year, they didn't barrel any whiskey uh, because they were testing out their the success of their new business. They didn't want to put in too much uh, if nobody sense. was going to be buying their product. But of course, it was amazing. And now there only are a few bottles left. And we got one. Yeah, we did. <laughs> and you guys can get them too in a bit. In a year, there will be more whiskey if you're uh, unlucky and miss out on the remaining bottles that they have left. So buy quick. Information is in the show notes. But Kelly, please tell me what you think about this whiskey. I haven't sipped it yet, but the entire time you were talking, I've been smelling it. <laughs> <laughs> and it smells very good. So I'm very excited. Uh, we know that Shard does not like whiskey. So any review from her will be very hard to judge. Hey, I said it was smooth. (laughs) Oh, man, that is smooth. Wow. I told you, see, I may not be a huge whiskey fan, and yet I know what I'm saying. It's like it burns going down in the like warming your body way, but it doesn't burn in your mouth. 
Mm, that's good. And it's that's perfect for these cold, cold winter months. And having it in a mug into. is <laughs> like <laughs> like sitting around the bonfire or something with a mug of whiskey. Exactly. I did that part of the remake was very uh I could relate to that, that moving and everything is in boxes and you're just tired. You get all your shit in the house in the boxes and before you unpack, you just go to bed and like have a have a mug of something. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> it's really good. It's got a, a good uh flavor to it. And you said it was a bourbon whiskey? Yes. This is a small batch bourbon whiskey, which I shall say won the Sip Awards in 2021. Ooh. They won gold. Ooh. And something that's really cool is that they made this whiskey with a variety of ingredients, including corn, malted barley, and oats. So here's the fun thing. Um, I like whiskey. I do not know how to review whiskey. <laughs> it's like the same way I like wine. I, I I can drink any type of wine and it's it's delicious, but I can't be like, mm, this is from the blank valley on this. It's like this whiskey is very good and easy to drink and has a nice flavor. I could not for the life of me tell tell you what that flavor is or why it's good. So uh, you'll just have to trust me, I guess. Yep, <laughs> that's fair. Let's get into the films that we watch. This episode is the first time that we're kind of reviewing two movies in one. So it'll be a little bit different. Hang in there with us, folks. Uh, and before we dive in, thank you so much to our patrons, Aubrielle, Colleen D, Les Represent Podcast, Redhead Rebellion, Kat K, Janet S, Jackie V, Olds Bear, Aiden T, Diana S, Jacob M, and Nicholas G. You all are funding the show right now. We couldn't do this without you. It takes a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of editing, equipment, et cetera, et cetera, to make this show. And you are supporting us. Thank you so, so much. This week, we watched Poltergeist, which premiered on June 4th, 1982, written by Steven Spielberg, Michael Gray, and Mark Victor, directed by Toby Hooper. It stars Joe Beth Williams as brave mother Diane Freeling, Heather O'Rourke as their here daughter, <laughs> Carol Ann Freeling, Craig T. Nelson as father Steve Freeling, and Zelda Rubenstein as this house is clean, Tangina. This synopsis was written by Gary KMCD on IMDb. Thank you, Gary. The Freelings are a typical suburban family. Husband Steve sells real estate in their ever-expanding subdivision, and Diane is a stay-at-home mom caring for their three kids, Dana, Robbie, and little Carol Ann. Strange things, <laughs> stranger things, uh. begin to happen in the house, however. Cupboard doors open on their own, furniture rearranges itself, and chairs go sliding across the kitchen floor. It's a bit of a whimsy at first, but soon becomes deadly serious when Carol Ann vanishes into another world, where oddly, she can only be communicated with through the white noise on their television. A team of paranormal investigators move into the house, but the forces that kidnapped Carol Ann are evil and powerful, requiring the services of Tangina, a woman who has dealt with this situation before. Uh, so uh, Tangina comes in and helps the family rescue the daughter by using a rope system that goes through the entrance and exit of the other world, the other side, the astral plane, whatever you want to call it. And Diane goes in, saves her daughter, and they get dumped out thinking that the house is clean. But then a bunch of corpses and uh, tombstones and no, not tombstones. What are they called? Coffins. Coffins. A bunch of bodies and coffins pop out of the ground and it's revealed that the only the tombstones were moved from the grave site. You didn't move the bodies. You, you only moved, moved the, the tombstones. Um, and then they, uh, the house crumbles in on itself. They peace out of the neighborhood and go into a motel where they roll the TV out because they are done with TV technology. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> Ruining our households. And before we get into the discussion, of course, we watched the remake of this movie. Poltergeist premiered on May 22nd, 2015, written by David Lindsay Abair and directed by Jill Keenan. Gil Keenan? Let's say Gil. Yeah. Gil Keenan. Starring Sam Rockwell as father Eric Bowen, Rosemary DeWitt as writer and mother Amy Bowen, Kyle Catlett as anxious son Griffin, and Jared Harris as ghost hunter Kerrigan Burke. 
This synopsis was written by Claudio Carvalho. We haven't hey. seen you in a while, Claudio. Beep, beep, beep. Thank you. The unemployed Eric Bowen moves with his wife, Amy, and their children, Kendra, Griffin, and Madison, to a house in the suburb. Soon, strange events happen in the house, and when Eric and Amy go to a dinner party, they learn that the house was built on an old cemetery. But of course, the bodies were moved to another cemetery. Meanwhile, Kendra, Griffin, and Madison are haunted by ghosts, and the little girl vanishes. Eric and Amy do not go to the police since there's no feasible explanation for what has happened to their daughter, but Amy does go to the paranormal research department of the university. The team goes to the house, and their leader, Dr. Brooke Powell, summons the specialist Kerrigan Burke. Will they be capable to rescue Madison? Yes. They do the same thing with the rope, only this time the son goes in to save the daughter and they plop themselves out of the astral plane. Um, And then as they're driving away, basically the same thing happens. A bunch of uh, spooky ghosts reappear, pull them back into the house and try to murder them. And then Kerrigan jumps into the astral plane and does something, I'm sure, uh, (laughs) that causes the house to crumple and explode and shoot out into a laser into the sky. And the family escapes. Um, and then we see them about to buy a new house, only there's a, a tree just as old as the other one. So they say no, and they drive away, and <laughs> everyone laughs. I did think it was interesting at the end of the remake, they also had the telephone or electrical p- towers that showed the electricity oh, flying yeah. through. Like, you know, in case the there's a sequel. Going somewhere. Unless oh. we do Polter, in case we do Poltergeist the remake, the Two. sequel. Yeah. Kelly, do you have some thoughts? Yes, I do. So the way we're going to do this is we're going to have one thought about the original, one thought about the remake, and then sort of a thought about comparing the two of them. So my original thought is that I was very surprised about the scoring and how odd it was. Um, I sort of expected the movie to have a more sinister soundtrack, but... It sounded more like many other Steven Spielberg movies. Okay, yep. It had like strong E.T. and Back to the Future vibes. Which is funny because this was actually not scored by John Williams. Exactly. I I looked that up because I was like, was it John Williams? It's got such a strong John Williams like inspiration, I think. Yeah. Um, Which to me made it not even feel like a horror movie. Okay, Um, totally. I could see that. Like there was some moments like the melting face and the maggots and stuff like that that were like spooky, but no more so than like Indiana Jones was when the Nazis open up the the arc. So like growing up, I was told poltergeist is so scary. It's going to haunt your dreams and you're going to be scarred for life. And then watching it, it was almost kind of just like a family movie with ghosts i guess and i really equate that to the scoring of the movie i feel like if somebody redid the music of this movie just as like a thought experiment they could easily make it like a hundred times more scary just through music alone yes i agree also i just sipped some of my whiskey and my eyes are burning (laughs) my cheeks are getting a little bit flush already so if i get if i get heated about my points about these movies you know why um but yeah so it was like there were so many points in this movie where i feel like i could have been scared but because of the scoring it all all terror was taken out of out of it, out of the scene. Yeah, it sort of felt very childlike to me. I think it was sort of based around the character of Carol Ann. And yeah, like her point of view was definitely the way we were supposed to be watching the movie, I think. Yeah. Even to the end when um, the credits start rolling, it's a song with like a single child going, ah, ah. that's just Rosemary's da, Babies. Da, 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 yeah. <laughs> Is that Amityville or Rosemary? I can't remember. Um, yes. And, yes. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I just thought that was really interesting. And mm-hmm. it I, I don't really know if it was intended to be scary. Like, I don't know if Steven Spielberg wanted to do horror and then sort of like, but like his own vibe of it. It's very interesting. I'm, I'm excited to see if you have any points of this in the scaredy facts. <laughs> um, and that's my uh, my points on the remake is that there were 
only really two things that impressed me in this movie. I think overall it was kind of like, all right, vanilla milk toast sort of uh, late 2010s. Yep. But there were two shots in particular that like, even while we were watching it, I was like, wow. Oh, cool. I didn't expect that. Um, the first being when the like initial poltergeist attack happens, uh, the sun gets like frozen at the top of the stairs for some reason. Yes. It really reminded me of squid game. Oh yeah. Like the, the <laughs> red light, green light. Allie is just hit standing beside exactly. or behind him. Um, but that wasn't the impressive part. The impressive part was uh, the tree dragging him out of the window. Yeah, that was cool. It makes sense to me that they wanted to wrap up, uh, ramp up such like an iconic moment of the first movie. Um, so the way that the shot happens is he's sort of like standing over the staircase frozen and the hand of the tree grabs him and then pulls him through the hallway. And the way the shot is done is it's actually the camera flying through the hallway with him, following him up the stairs into his room out of the window. And just the visuals of that were so cool that I was momentarily impressed before going back to my default vanilla milk toast. Yeah. Base level interest (laughs) in the movie. This scene for me, it did stick out as well as a a highlight of the remake because it, for one of the only scenes of the film, I found elevated the stakes. Mm. The kids are alone with their older sister as babysitter. The parents are out and they're out for a while. He's up in that tree being flung around (laughs) by the ankles for quite some time. Let's not even think about the physical damage. He's also dropped to the ground, but But he's uh, like lightly dropped. He kind of (laughs) like, but he's fine at the bottom. He doesn't even have any blood or scratches or anything. But the emotional trauma of what has occurred is deep rooted in this kid. Deep rooted? Huh? Deep rooted? That's what I said. (laughs) he got eaten by the tree in the original, which I honestly think is much more traumatic than sort of being grabbed a bit and grabbed a bit flailed around. But the original was yes. And got (laughs) flailed around and got fucking at by the tree. That's true. Um, The second shot that impressed me of the remake is near the end. After they think that the house is clean, their car gets flipped and pulled back into the house And there's a shot of the daughter just sort of standing in the middle of the frame. And it's like pulled back quite a bit. Um, And my expectation was like, oh, she's fine. And then we'll see a spooky ghost crawl up behind her. But like in a split second, she's yanked by her feet upside down and pulled up the stairs, which was Mm -hmm. just so startling. And like looking back at it, it's clear that it's like a CGI child being flung around. Yeah. But it was in that moment, it was just so impressive that they took what I thought was going to happen and literally flipped it on its head. And it was so fast. Oh, yeah. I think that was what made it really effective as well. It kind of caught me off guard, similar to um, another movie we've watched recently, which is still (laughs) coming up. I was going to mention the scene, but we haven't reviewed it yet. Yes. Um, Spoilers. Anyways, so that being said... My comparison of the two, having watched them basically back to back, is that they're both very boring. Um, That's the most consistent quality I think that they both have. (laughs) Um, They have cool moments here and there, but I don't think it makes up for the fact that like the original had extremely weirdly long scenes that didn't need to be drawn out as much as they were. Mm hmm. Um, some of them I understood where they were like trying to establish the family life. They all like play well together and like just seeing the kids at the table or when the mom has her bath, it like lingers on her for too long. But I kind of realized that that's supposed to draw you off of like, oh, everything's safe now. So she's having this bath. It's no longer scary anymore. But there are just so many that were just drawn on for no good reason. You really could have shaved, especially I found in the original, like 30 minutes off that film. Hell yes. Like so many shots of the family sleeping for no reason. <laughs> so many shots of like people just sort of sitting there observing things. And again, like I know some of them are for, um, oh, this is the calm before the storm kind of thing. Yes. But there are mm-hmm. fucking too many. Um, and the remake was just so... As I said, vanilla, the family was so boring and cookie cutter. 
they all had the the generic stereotypical roles of a family um even like even though the husband wasn't working he very much was like i need to be the breadwinner you can't work yeah Um, he tried to be supportive but there's only so much you can do when you're like, I'm not getting a job. Yeah. And your partner's like, I guess I should work too. <laughs> like, I liked their relationship in the original. There was never a moment of doubt between them. They were both a team that were working together. Yeah. Um, And it was a very, like, abnormal family, like, from media perspective. Like, they were, they were partners who loved each other in the original, which is so abnormal. <laughs> what? No ball and chain jokes? <laughs> wow. But then, yeah, you get the remake and it's like, okay, it's Poltergeist set in 2015. I get it. Yeah. And then it's just like checking the boxes with this very dull, boring family that I just really didn't care about. Very American dream family. Yeah. And it's sort of even when the action happened, it sort of just felt like a universal ride Mm -hmm. where it's like, la, la, la. Everything's fine. Oh, we're going up the tree and sliding down the roof. (laughs) Whoa. And then the kid flies out at your face and you're like, I almost got hit. Oh, my God. And then the the mummy, because the mummy ride at Universal is the best ride ever. I'll go on it a million times. It's also like 10 seconds long, which makes it the the best (laughs) ride in Universal. I don't need fucking moments between the beats where it's like, oh, Spider-Man, you've got to save these people who are on this Universal (laughs) ride because the the. The scarecrow, oh no, the the green goblin. green goblin is on the loose. Look out for the green goblin, Universal ride goers. And then Spider Man flings around for a bit. Um, yeah, I didn't. I it just. I don't know. I can't really say anything about the remake. That's not just that it was extremely boring and um, predictable. I guess. Yeah, I felt very similar. But before we get into my thoughts, we have a very special. This is the real deal. Real deal. Um, so my mom, my mom was alive when the original was out. Um, so she watched it. So her her uh, review of that would be nigh useless, is what she said. So she only did the <laughs> um, the remake. So this is her review of the remake, which none of us had seen before uh, doing this episode. Mm-hmm. So her review is: Poltergeist 2015 is a great example of why some movies should never be remade. The acting was so bad. Giving original women-led roles to dudes was so disappointing and the storyline was so weird. How are they able to buy a house with no jobs and bad credit <laughs> and one second the kid the and one second the son is scared shitless of everything and the next he's like whatever. Please tell me the secret because I'm over 50 and terrified of uh the kinds of things he was seeing. The jump scares definitely made me pee a little, but was it really worth it? No. My advice is to fast forward to the last 10 minutes because those are the only minutes worth watching. I give this pathetic attempt at a remix two stars and only because they continue to scare me with the faceless kids, closets, and cool paranormal effects. Oh, yeah, that closet kid was kind of spooky. Yes, that's true. Where you like, but again, that was like, oh, a kid hanging out alone in a closet and the dad's slowly going up to her. Definitely going to be a jump scare. Yeah. That's a very good review, I think, from Colleen. It was funny because there were a few moments watching this film. We watched it all together where she did jump and scream. And Kelly and I looked at each other and I texted them and I was like, I'm really bored. Yeah, (laughs) I think she definitely went in with higher expectations of being it's having it be scary. Mm -hmm. And then by like halfway point, she's like, oh, nothing's really going to scare me. And then the faceless kid jumped out and she was like, ah, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) I almost made it through. Yeah. It's time for Whispers from Beyond. We can add in whispers. I don't know why I did it myself. Yeah, we, already, we already have whispers. <laughs> now there's an added layer of Char whispers. It's the whiskey getting to you. <laughs> so today we are talking about the Pick Me podcast <gasps> review that just came out by TJW. They have a show where they review podcasts that they listen to. And uh, sometimes they ask the hosts onto the show. Spoilers, we are going to be on the show in October um, on Halloween, on October Halloween 31st. Day. And they gave us, he gave us such a nice review. Um, it's in an episode baked in with Real Horror Show, our friends that did the Halloween Kills episode with us. Um, and 
you just were so kind. You gave us so many nice thoughts. <laughs> and I hope that everybody on our show goes and listens to the Pick Me podcast and find some new shows to also share your love with. Mm-hmm. Thanks, TJ, for the excellent review. We appreciate it. Yay. We're going to take a moment to talk about our socials and sponsors. First of all, shouting out the amazing After Dark Distillery for joining us as a season sponsor. Thank you so, so much, Louise and your lovely partner for agreeing to sponsor us. Today, we enjoyed their Monashi Mountain Whiskey, which is handcrafted in British Columbia. And it's been so delightful to have. I can't wait to taste everything else that you've provided us with these flavored moonshines sneak peek so excited there's a peach one that has real peach slices still in the bottle wow check them out at afterdarkdistillery.com you can order through there they ship globally do it Speaking of season sponsors, this season of Drinking and Screaming would not be possible without the continuing support of Mad Lab Distillery. They've been with us since the very beginning. They're Canadian, and we love everything they create. Uh, We still have just like a big collection of their stuff. We've got so many bitters. I keep making all these drinks with bitters. They're great. If you want to be a fancy person who uses bitters in their cocktails, (laughs) you can. It's easy. You can get their amazing products at a private liquor store near you or at Mad Lab Distillery. Stilling.com. Evil Amy sent us a little Baba keychain. <gasps> so he cute. It's so adorable. He's like an inch high. I'm holding him in my hand right now. He's got his leather face mask on, chainsaw at the ready, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, of course. You can bring this little Funko Pop cannibal with you everywhere. Get yours. They ship globally at evilamysterrorshop.com. And you can use code EVIL10 for 10% off your purchase. I really wanted to make a joke that if that Baba sees himself on your keys, he's going to use Franklin's demise so that you drop them. That's, no. the, that's the joke. I don't know. Drink. Uh, that's from Dead by <laughs> You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at drink underscore scream on Facebook at drink and scream. And you can email us at drinking and screaming at gmail.com. For more information and to buy some merch, you can go to drinking and screaming.com. I also would love to just give another shout out to our Patreon. Um, everyone who supports the show via Patreon, you get extra cool goodies. You get access to our bonus episodes that are pre-fear. You get stickers, pins, uh, merch discounts, uh, and more. We have dialed back our Patreon rewards just to keep the show as stress-free as possible for us. But even if you have just a dollar to spare, get yourself some great, great goodies and support the show. Patreon.com slash Drink and Scream. They're going back to the episode... Now, do you have any thoughts about these two movies? Thoughts about these movies? Well, let me tell you. Uh, I had seen the original Poltergeist about almost a year ago now. Yeah, I feel like it. I think you watched it while I was doing something else. Yeah, I watched it during the Panini at home. And the thing that stood out to me the most was the practical effects that were used. I found that they were very cool. The film came out in 1982. There, so there were some concepts that really hit the nail on the head, but sort of failed in execution, which for me was the face removal in the bathroom. Mm. They, uh, the One of the paranormal investigators goes into the washroom and is busy staring at himself in the mirror and slowly uh, it starts to shift until it hard cuts to a totally dummy prosthetic <laughs> head that they rip the skin off of, which, by the way, was Steven Spielberg's hands doing that. Ooh. But um, it sort of just felt a little kooky to me, that scene. But the other ones, like the giant ghostly skeleton that was used a few times, that was super cool. I really liked how they did it. And it the concept of it was pretty scary. I feel like overall, the scares in this movie were original. And seeing it I the first time, I knew that there was a remake, which made me very excited to see the modern... Uh, use of technology and hopefully like elevating these jump scares or these terror, uh, these horrifying things to view. 
but that leads me into the remake. <laughs> I, I think the like the equivalent of the ghost hands that they did in the remake were the like shadow hands pressing up on the inside of the TV. Oh yeah, which I were kind of that. a neat visual. That was cool. Yeah, it was also like a neat um, modern way of doing it. Yeah, they did though with the uh, the father this time in the remake with the father. He, he had the the face removing scene, but instead it was like he puked up sludge after sludge drinking the whiskey in the mug came out of his eyes. <laughs> yeah, thank God I'm not puking up dead body sludge. This is still very nice to enjoy. <laughs> Um, but with the remake, I thought that the ghostly discoveries that the kids made was a very cool angle to go through with the first one. It was very much Carol Ann and the mother sort of doing it together. This time it was more the kids on their own. Mm -hmm. And I thought that made more sense of why nobody would seek help. The kids didn't really tell anybody. They had like the electricity current in the closet where they had uh, they would touch the doorknob and like their hair would stand on end and the TV with the actual shadows like you were saying Kelly that was spooky to me very very cool to see the daughter interact with the TV rather than just staring at it <laughs> and saying they're here but she didn't deliver the line as good no she, she was just, just like, like they're, they're here, here. <laughs> <laughs> Which was funny. But uh, all that to be said, also the the dead creatures. This time we actually got to see the other side oh, yeah. in detail. And that element of the remake was probably the biggest uh, pro for me watching. I that reminded that me really of like cool. a Nine Inch Nails music video with all the bodies crawling on the wall and yeah, stuff. Yeah, okay. I don't know why, but it very much I was like, yeah, I feel like Nine Inch Nails would be into this. <laughs> <laughs> And then looking at the comparison of these films, I will start off by saying they did a good job modernizing it. They had a drone that only the kid could use, which he handed to the the famous ghost hunter. And I was like, you're not going to know what to yeah. do with that, <laughs> which they showed, which I that added detail was really great for me. Um, but I really have a negative point about this and it really soured the whole movie other than the fact that it was still boring and oddly paced and like things were drawn out and there weren't that much stakes, which is odd considering ghosts are terrorizing your home. <laughs> and I'm like, there are no stakes in this movie, but they trashed the strong, if stereotypical female characters of the original, they totally trashed them. Yeah. They gave all the power that they had and handed it over to their male counterparts. And I just thought, what a waste, what a letdown seeing this movie. I don't know why they made these ch decisions. They changed gender of some characters, like my favorite character of uh, Tangina. She was awesome in the first film. She was so kooky and like fun. And then they made it into this like paranormal Irish man ghost hunter who had like a series. Who, of so course, the like, head of the paranormal department had a romance with because she couldn't just be a professional paranormal person. She had to be yeah. connected to a guy somehow. Ugh. And then to make matters worse, they totally removed the mom's heroic journey of going to the other side to save Carol Ann or I don't even remember Maddie in this one. <laughs> Uh, it's replaced by the brother. Yeah. Did you have thoughts? Like they sort of did something weird in this remake of the son having a lot of anxiety and it was literally just, I feel like it was just for the moment where he left, uh, Carol Ann, whatever Maddie, Maddie alone, uh, when the initial haunting happened so that he had something to feel guilty about. But I think, it was much more interesting in the original to have the mom be the one to like do the science of like, she fucking did like sketches and stuff on the ground to determine like where the paranormal stuff was happening. So she was like really smart and creative. Uh, she reminded me of the mom from stranger things. Yeah. Joy Spires. Yeah. So like when push come to shove, she took control. But in this one, it was like, she was very much just being dragged along by the guys and the son having such a more connection to the ghosts just meant that, another man was in charge of the, that part of the story. Yeah. Um, and his fear, Ugh. him overcoming his fear became a replacement for 
any plot that any of the women got to have. Yeah. They did one thing in the movie in regards to this element that made sense to me, which was he was in the start of the film. They showed him playing on his tablet uh, with like a zombie game first person that was very reminiscent of the actual fear he had to face in the second part of saving his sister. And that that strength that appeared in this character sort of made sense to me because of that. But then he just, I don't know. It was weird. There was also one dynamic that we didn't really touch on, but I feel like we're in that realm of discussion. But in the first movie, the relationship between the mom and the older daughter um, was kind of this like peer a little bit like the, the daughter while sort of framed as being like a, a slut was very like sexually empowered and very like a strong willed character. Mm -hmm. And there was this underlying element of the mom being proud of her for that. Yeah. And sort of being like, yeah, I, I did that. You're doing all the things that I did. And I'm really like here for that. Um, and there was nothing of that in the second movie. There was like her, the older daughter was literally just there for the like millennial jokes of, Oh, my phone's broken and uh, I need a new one. Oh, I hate this family. Um, I'm just, I got to babysit. I hate babysitting. And she was given, she was such a two dimensional character with nothing going for her. Yeah, totally. I agree. Hands down. Also, the dad spending was so weird. He like wants to provide for his family when they're in massive debt. That didn't make sense. And then he just spends all this money and he's like, I want to provide for you. I'm like, you already <laughs> provide. There's no reason to buy a thousand dollar drone and a thousand dollar iPhone. He was such a broy, like good buddy friend guy, but like such a dumb asshole for everything else. And the dad in the original immediately believes the mom and the kids. Yes. The, the moment she's like, hey, check this out. He's like freaked out, but they're not not in a single moment does he ever question them. Mm -hmm. um, the relationship with the family, I feel in the first one is so much stronger and better, which again, it's fucking boring vanilla milk toast storytelling of, uh, oh, this dysfunctional family that has to band together and don't originally like each other. Mm hmm. Yeah. Agreed. So yeah, your point, like, I think you really drew on the main difference between these two movies is like how much more feminist the original was. Yeah. Um, and I think if, if you're going to take anything away from the remake, it's that they took all of those elements and completely threw them away. They just watered it down to nothingness. Yeah, it was it was bad. Also, I do, of all the things they had to stick with, they stuck with like st like plot and and dialogue and a lot of the lines and stuff are the same in the remake. Why did they also have to keep the fact that there was only a singular black person in the entire movie? Uh, like it was like when they're checking the boxes, they're like, oh, OK, we got the, the broy dad. We got drinking whiskey instead of weed. We got a dead thing in the garden. One black person did it. <laughs> Huzzah. Huzzah. At least this character, they gender flipped to be a woman instead of a man. Yeah. But it, it's sort of like they had to do that because they stole the role of Tangina. <laughs> they had to, they could the only balance it so much. The first movie. <laughs> I'm so mad. Ugh. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Uh, yeah, just an extremely disappointing late aughts, not even aughts, late 2010s movie. Yep. All right. So... Listen, everyone knows this segment. They're expecting it. But I got to be honest with you. I lost the book. So I'm going to go into the closet, <laughs> going to spend some time in the afterlife, and I'm going to find it. a new one. Oh. So I'm going to be right back. Well. Don't go into the light. Go into the light, Caroline. Oh, this book's so sticky. I guess it's time to open the Reconomica. Oh, it's so gross. It's full of ectoplasm. Put it in the water. No, put it in the water. Oh, no, the pages are broken now. Oh, no. Uh, speaking of ectoplasm, my recommendation is Ghostbusters. Literally any of them. <laughs> I don't care which one you watch. I haven't actually seen the new ones. 
Um, I want to. Yeah, me too. There's two new ones that we haven't seen. The one that apparently ruins everyone's childhood because there's ladies in it. Yeah, how dare they? Um, and the one with... Hard sarcasm. Guy, the one with kid from Stranger Things. Ben Wolfhard. Yeah, he's in that one. Yeah. So watch any of the Ghostbusters. The first one, I feel like people forget that there is a trigger warning for uh, sexual assault. Yes, which that movie gave me nightmares yeah. <laughs> as a child. So remember that going in, that it's not just wacky fun time adventure ghosts, but uh, then watch a different one. They yeah. all, watch they one all of the new ones. serve the same purpose. <laughs> <laughs> My recommendation is the first Amityville Horror, which is a slow burn family drama that kicks into high gear right at the end of the film. It came out in 1979 and they also did a remake in 2005. Ooh. And that's the Amityville Horror, which we did an episode on both the original and the remake. So go Heck check yeah. those out. It's time for... Da-da-da! Scaredy facts. For those of you who are just joining us for the first time, or for those of you who like the story like I do, this is the part of our show where we dive into the covers and snuggle and hide because we are too scared. But don't worry, we're going to go on IMDb and other movie sites to find some movie trivia and behind the scenes stories to remind ourselves that this was just a movie (gasps) and everything will be okay. But also this movie wasn't very scary. So (laughs) I do have some very interesting scaredy facts for the original film. And sadly, basically none for the remake. I got Mm -hmm. like four. Mm. The diving in Poltergeist 1982 budget 10.7 million. All right. Opening weekend 6.9 million. Nice. That's true. <laughs> I didn't even think about that as I wrote that. But the worldwide gross is 77.1 million. Wow. Quite a big return on this film. Obviously, it's a classic. I can see why. There's like shutter episodes that you can watch on the making of Poltergeist, which I actually haven't seen yet. I should now that I've watched both this one and the remake. Diving right in, Heather O'Rourke, who played Carol Ann, kept the pet goldfish. Hey. I that was the first scaredy fact I read and I was so heartwarmed <laughs> by that. So I'm so glad. Then diving right into sadness. Uh, Dominic Dune, who played the daughter, uh, the older daughter and Heather O'Rourke, who played Carol Ann, are buried in the same cemetery, Westwood Memorial Park in Los Angeles. On October 30th, 1982, Dominic was strangled by her ex-boyfriend in the driveway of her West Hollywood home. Uh, It was because she refused to get back with him, which is something we hear so often with domestic violence. She died on November 4th at the age of 22, having never regained consciousness. And on February 1st, 1988, O'Rourke died of intestinal stenosis at the age of 12. Wow. Very sad. There are quite a few deaths in the Poltergeist cast. Uh, And I am going into a bit of detail here, as some of you may have heard of the poltergeist curse. Yes, I hadn't until my mom mentioned it. (laughs) I will speak a bit more about um, in a bit. But first, I'm Julie Chen. But first. God, (laughs) please no. (laughs) (laughs) My big brother fan is showing. Uh, During all the horrors that proceeded while filming Poltergeist, only one scene really scared the actress who played Carol Ann. She had to hold on to the headboard while a wind machine blew toys into the closet behind her. And this was something that really scared the actress. She fell apart in tears and Steven Spielberg stopped the tape, stopped everything, took her in his arms and said that she wouldn't have to do that scene again, which was nice. Oh, that's sweet. But uh, real terror in her <laughs> eyes when you see that scene. Uh, speaking of real terror, at about an hour 35 minutes, when Robbie, who's Oliver Robbins, um, is being strangled by the clowns, they actually, the arms of the clown doll became extremely tight around his neck and the actor started to choke for real. He screamed out, I can't breathe. And uh, Steven Spielberg and Toby Hooper thought that he was just ad-libbing lines. And they were like, great, look at the camera. (laughs) Um, And the actor's face started to turn purple and he literally was losing oxygen, could not breathe. Uh, Steven Spielberg stopped the shot and removed the clown arms from his neck. Wow. Saving the actor's life. 
That's uh, quite a curse. Quite a <laughs> curse. Going into the role of Carol Ann and actress Heather O'Rourke, uh, she was chosen for the film when she was eating lunch with her mother and sister at an MGM commissary. Producer Steven Spielberg came up to them and wanted her for the part of Carol Ann, but she actually initially failed the screen test because she kept laughing her way <laughs> through the audition, even when she was supposed to be afraid. Spielberg thought she was too young to take the part seriously, but he still recognized there was something special in her. So he asked her to come back for another audition. And this time she had to bring a scary storybook with her. And uh, he asked her to scream and she just screamed and didn't stop until she started crying oh, no. and just bawling. <laughs> and that was what got her the role of Carol Ann. Man, I want to go to an interview where I completely bombed the first round. They're still like, nah, we're going to bring back. you back. Yeah. yeah. And then she knocked it out of the park. Yeah. Out of the park. I mean, um, Drew Barrymore, additional scary fact that I didn't actually include, was highly considered for the role of Carol Ann. And it was actually her audition for this movie that got her the role in E.T. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. Diving into this curse. Mm. So real human skeletons were used in the swimming pool scene since the crew decided it would be too complicated and expensive get fake ones. Joe Beth Williams was not made aware of this until after the scene where she had to dive in with all of these bodies was finished. The poltergeist curse is an urban legend based around the fact that there have been several unfortunate deaths of actors who appeared in the franchise, as I explained earlier, as well as other strange events. It's believed to be caused by the use of these real skeletons on set. The actress Jo Beth Williams had a supernatural experience during the making of the film. Whenever she came home from filming, the pictures on the walls of her home were crooked. Definitely time, can't be definitely can't be blamed on the fact that LA historically has a lot of earthquakes. Every day. <laughs> every day there's earthquakes in LA. And every time she fixed them, they would hang crooked again the next time she got home. Maybe fucking hang them better. <laughs> <laughs> Zelda Rubenstein, who played Tangina, also had an experience when a vision of her dog came to her and the, her dog said goodbye. And hours later, her mother called her and told her that her dog had passed away that very day. Oh, no. Apparently, Zelda Rubenstein had a big connection to the afterlife, to the astral plane, mm. um, which may some say gave her a bit of extra consideration for the role of Tangina. I just looked her up on IMDb. Apparently she's in all the other poltergeists. Well, there we go. She's like the, um, uh, what's the guy from Nightmare? Or no, what's the guy from Halloween? Uh, Dr. Something, you know. Oh, yeah. Guy we who's super horny for Michael Myers. Yeah. Uh, she's kind of like that, I would assume. I'm looking up his name because I can't not say it. Dr. Loomis. Dr. Loomis. <laughs> Wait, is she? She's also in Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. Oh, apparently that was the last that movie she made. Oh, I don't know if she's. I, no, she's. Oh, no, she died. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that makes sense. She but yeah, that was the last movie she did is in. We ought to watch that again. I love that film. Yeah. It's spooky season. It's perfect. <laughs> If actually another shout out, if you do want to uh, experience the behind the mask drinking and screaming perspective, you have to go and watch Rosemary or not watch. Listen to Rosemary's Ladies. Yeah, they did an episode on it and we were there and it was fantastic. Mm -hmm. Diving into Poltergeist 2015 <gasps> budget, 35 million opening weekend, 22.6 million made. Gross worldwide, surpassing that of the original Poltergeist at $95.4 million. Wow. That's surprising considering yes. how bad this movie was. Yep. <laughs> I think the hype was real. Yeah. I think horror fans, I mean, if I was more baked into horror at the time, I would have totally gone. More so. baked like the original parents? Yep. <laughs> All right, let's get through these <laughs> shitty, scary facts. I apologize in advance. <laughs> Director Gil Keenan stated that the house they filmed in is haunted. 
Well, that was all the information yeah, I could find about that's that. Just, you know, generic content. <laughs> Rosemary DeWitt, who played the mother in this film, wanted to do it because she experienced the engaged and lively audience reaction at the premiere of The Conjuring, which she attended because it featured her husband, Ron Livingston, who plays the dad in The Conjuring. Oh, and she was like, yeah, I could use that. I could use some real fans in my life. Yeah, I could do that. <laughs> yeah. The Conjuring. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah. What a comparison. <laughs> yeah. Poltergeist, Conjuring, same difference. The bumper sticker on the Bowen vehicle during the last scene of the film says Hooper High School. This is a direct reference to Toby Hooper, who directed the 1982 original. I was really afraid that that was going to be a blink and you miss it moment. Blink and you'll miss it. They talk about him being a high school coach in the beginning of the movie, and then he does it. Whoa. Whoa. And last but not least, I saved this because both Kelly and I had the idea of poltergeist being centered around the idea of an indigenous burial ground. Yeah, I for some reason, I'd always grown up thinking that that was the like crux of the movie. Let me tell you why. (gasps) The Family Guy episode, Family Guy, Peter Geist from 2006, parodied the original film saying it was, in fact, an indigenous burial ground. So I think that may have seeped into our subconsciousness. Hey, great. Good job. Thanks. I remember that episode. I remember he grabs a skull and pees in it. And that's, wow. You know, one of the jokes. All right. Gotta love Family Guy. Looking at the pictures of Family Guy, the skull also has a a feather headdress on it. Ah. Good job everyone involved in that show um so final thoughts i was gonna say that it's almost like the berenstein effect where yes. you like or the uh luke i am your father thing yep uh my final thoughts is that i think the idea has been done so much better in other movies cough the conjuring <laughs> uh which to me kind of makes the original concept lackluster uh which i know is a cop out and kind of sad but like watching the original and the remake it just it didn't do it was it didn't do the things that i've come to expect from these sort of movies well enough okay yep um and the remake didn't do enough to differentiate itself to make me think any different about that movie either i sort of am a bit different than you the remake really fell flat for me and that's because the concept of the original was so strong I actually really liked the idea behind the original Poltergeist of the effects that were used of the scares of the story beats. Of course, they were there was a bit more filler in between. But I watching that made me excited to see the remake, mm. to look forward to the great scares that could have come. But unfortunately, they didn't. Mm. The pacing of both films really felt off to me and the story was definitely dragged out. So both the original, unfortunately, and the remake, for me, are ones that I would skip. I prefer kinetic scares over potential scares. <laughs> well, that's been Poltergeist, a movie about poltergeists. <clears throat> Next week, we'll be watching, I'm so excited, Scooby-Doo from 2002. ruh Yay! <laughs> <laughs> and remember, always stream responsibly. Thank you for listening to Drinking and Screaming. Drinking and Screaming is produced and edited by Charlene Bear. Our sound engineer and logo designer is Kelly Wright. And it's hosted by, yep, you guessed it, Kelly Wright and Charlene Bear. For bonus episodes, Patreon poll voting privileges, and exclusive rewards, become a patron at patreon.com slash drinkandscream. Want a shout out? Review us on Apple Podcasts and we'll read your review live on the show. For more information, check out our website, drinkingandscreaming.com.